0: Today, we're going to talk about making approachable games. Hey everyone, I hope you're doing well. Welcome to the 43rd episode of the Game Dev Field Guide. I am your host, Zaccavelli. You can find me on Twitter at underscore Zaccavelli underscore and catch me on Twitch TV slash Zaccavelli underscore for the occasional Game Dev stream. We also have an open community Discord. There's an open invite link in the show notes. Anyone can join and it's a great place if you're a beginner or intermediate game dev and even some expert game devs I think would be a cool place to uh, congregate. With the intro out of the way let's move on over to the game dev challenge. The game dev challenge is the part of the show where I provide a prompt to the listeners and it's usually intended to be like a 15 to 30 minute thought exercise I guess or maybe even a direct exercise if it's an art challenge focuses on things like uh game design ideas working on art techniques and it's usually related to what the episode is about if you will remember last episode episode 42 was about designing emergent gameplay and so the episode 42 game dev challenge was to give an elevator game design pitch for a game that will have emergent gameplay um and i added the note to remember design systems that will interact and be flexible. Remember those were some of the key things that allow emergent gameplay to happen, that interacting systems and flexibility between the systems. So yeah, with that, let's announce the winner. The winner of the episode 42 Game Dev Challenge is Calcoa. Kalkoa's post says, My idea stems loosely from making a tower defense game, however, it is multiplayer and simulated from the game environment. The flexibility comes from being able to design the tower's walls in a way where you can distribute the stats as a player, but also through the simulation of managing the builders and gatherers of resources. An additional intentional emergence is catching the eye Not only of other players, but NPC factions that you see your growth in the world as a potential threat. Some of the details are not hashed out, of course, but allowing multiple players to form alliances, guidance, or building their structures in a way to protect newer players from larger threats of the game environment. Personally, I think that's a pretty interesting idea. Um, If I'm understanding it right, the main feature of the tower defense game is building the walls and towers and you think of walls and towers as defensive structures, but Kalkoa makes a good point that if you really expand your walls and towers then it's almost an offensive mechanic where your growth can be seen as threat to other players. It's also cool to have like the idea of diplomacy, like larger players with bigger walls, bigger wall networks will almost, like, vassalize smaller players with smaller wall networks, uh, maybe because they have a good source of stone or something like that, or how multiple players could work together to build a network of walls for, like, half the cost. It's a super interesting core idea. I do think some of the details have to be hashed out, like, what's to keep everyone from just being really defensive and walling off from each other? If everyone just builds a super strong wall network and there's no reason to attack the other wall, then I think the game could get pretty, like, static. But maybe, as Calco points out, maybe that's where the NPC threats or, like, the in-game threats come in. And maybe they're pretty strong in this case. That way there is always that reason to keep improving and building your walls. Anyways, it's a super interesting core idea and... There's a little, like, tag-along post to Calcoa's submission where they mention they were thinking back to, like, the 90-ish Warcraft games or really a lot of those RTSs like Age of Empires where you could make a path by gathering up a forest. In other words, you could cut down trees to make a path on the map. And I thought that's a really good example of unintentional emergent gameplay because I've seen... Age of Empires um, tournaments where their entire settlement is surrounded by a thick forest um, and there's four players on one map and they have to cut down the forest to create their own lanes to each other's settlements. And that's a really cool idea. Typically in RTS and MOBA-like games, the lanes are defined. You know, in like a MOBA, it's top, middle, bottom. But in that example, and I didn't realize it until Calcoa had mentioned it, in a game where you can harvest trees and they're removed from the map, you actually are making the lanes in real time. And I thought that was a super interesting idea. And a really good example, I think, of unintentional emergence. So yeah, congratulations to Calcoa for winning the episode 42 Game Dev Challenge. I believe Calcoa just joined... The discord like i don't know like a week ago so congrats that's evidence that anyone uh can come join and participate and even win the game dev challenge so yeah could be you just go to the show notes and click the open invite link for the community discord go to the game dev challenge channel and post your submission for this episode's game dev challenge I want you to identify a game with a ghost tutorial. Later in this episode, we're going to talk about what makes a good tutorial. And one of my favorite examples um, is a ghost tutorial, which we'll talk about what that is later. But yeah, there's lots of good examples in all sorts of games. And maybe you're someone who just listens to the Game Dev Challenge and you don't listen to the body of the episode. So, I guess I'll say what I'm looking for is games that teach you the mechanics invisibly. So, yeah, if you have a good example of that, please submit your post to the Game Dev Challenge channel on the community Discord. And if you have no idea what I mean by ghost tutorial, then stick around as we get into the body of the episode. Today's episode is about making your game easily approachable. This is not to get confused with making a game that's easily accessible. Accessibility is more about accommodating disabilities like colorblindness or maybe the loss of use of a hand, which is a good topic in itself and I'm sure will be the focus in a future episode, but approachability is different. Approachability is really about how easy is it to pick up your game and play it. How intuitive is your game and how well does it teach you? The idea to do this topic actually came from my most recent Let'em Dare game, Unstabled. If you don't know what Let'em Dare is, it's where you make an entire game in 48 hours, and it's sort of a competition called a game jam. Anyways, the comments from my game are coming back pretty good, and I feel good about the game. However, there's one big flaw that gets brought up over and over, and that is that the very first screen past the title screen is my tutorial, And I didn't have enough time to make a proper tutorial, so I settled for a wall of text explaining the rules and features. The giant wall of text to start a game has been brought up over and over as initially very off-putting, and I think it's the exact opposite of an approachable game, and it's the biggest thing I would change about Unstabled if I could make it again. So what is it then that I mean when I describe an approachable game? What is the opposite of the mistake I made with Unstabled? Well, boiled down to a single idea, I think an approachable game is a game that makes sure that the player is at least at the skill floor and gives them a good path to the skill ceiling while being fun throughout the entire process. And really, in essence, what we're breaking down here is what it means to be an effective teacher, and that's actually a really hard thing to do. So I want to talk about today some tips on how you can make your game be a good teacher and how you can make your game be easy to learn. And importantly, how it can be fun to learn in your game. Let's start with the idea about how we might design games that are approachable in the first place. By that I mean these games are easy to pick up and play. They're easy to learn. The key thing about these games I think is that they're fun at the skill floor. I'm pretty sure I've talked about the skill floor and ceiling before, but let's do a refresher just in case. The skill floor and ceiling is a way to conceptualize the absolute best and worst players at your game. At the floor you have people brand new to the game and maybe even the genre. These are people who maybe have never even played a video game before. The skill ceiling is determined by the best of the best. When someone is this high, they literally cannot get better. As in, the depth and complexity of the game does not allow them to get any better. A good example is checkers, which has a lower skill floor and ceiling than chess. This is because in checkers, all the pieces move the same, meaning you don't have to learn what all the pieces do to play. You learn it once and you know how all the pieces move but you're also more limited to the strategies you can employ and the depth of the game because the pieces you have only move one way. Remember that an approachable game is fun at the skill floor and ceiling regardless of where they are in relation to each other or other games. And in a video game at least, the game should make sure that you're at least capable of playing at the floor And give you a path to the ceiling no matter how far along that path you intend to walk. Being an approachable game is something that I think modern AAAs are actually starting to do poorly. And one example that I noticed especially is highly competitive shooters. This is because the average player's skills and newcomer's skills grow farther in part with time. Being that the player versus player is the main component, Newer players face more and more lopsided competition. New players will often get frustrated and turn away from the game, and that's when the game starts to die because it no longer has that influx of new community members, and the community stops growing. It's not very approachable because it's not fun to be at the skill floor. Simply put, in a competitive game, skill floor people will lose on average to middle-of-the-road skill people, especially in games that have been around a while where those average skill people are closer to the ceiling than the floor. This creates a scenario where newcomers won't have fun and will leave the game. And to be fair, I've seen some AAA games come up with solutions for this. For example, in Rainbow Six Siege, they have a newcomers-only matchmaking system where new accounts and presumably new players can matchmake against each other. This keeps them from getting discouraged early because the average skill is a lot lower. And being that most of the players are at the skill floor, the game is fun because they're playing with other players towards the skill floor. But I think this idea of approachability shouldn't just be applied to multiplayer AAA games. This is an idea that I think you should apply even to small solo indie projects or hobby projects. The key idea is to make sure that the game is fun at the skill floor. I think as game devs we can sometimes be infatuated with the idea of complex and deep mechanics, and rightfully so, it's the deep gameplay that for me is what makes game design super fun and interesting, but what we don't realize is that if the game isn't fun at the skill floor, people won't keep playing to appreciate the complexity. So it's our job then, to make sure that our games are fun at the skill floor and either design a game that is intuitive or make sure we are really good teachers. Intuitive games are really nice because you can count on the skill floor being so low that anyone can do it and have fun. Take Wii Sports for example. Wii Sports is maybe the most intuitive game ever, with the skill floor so low that literally anyone can play and have fun. I think its intuition comes from the fact that you play the game with natural motions that everyone is familiar with. We basically all understand what a tennis swing does and how it looks, and because the game abstracts the sport somewhat, anyone can swing the racket and have success. Making your game intuitive is harder than it sounds, but I like to think about it like this. If the average person feels like something should work, it should. Now, obviously you're limited in a lot of ways, but let me give you an example that maybe makes it more clear. In Pokemon, water-type Pokemon have an advantage over fire-type Pokemon. This is a great example of what I mean by, it feels like it should, so it does. Pretty much every human on Earth knows that water puts out fire. Therefore, Pokemon is intuitive because it just makes sense that a water type would be strong against fire types. That's just knowledge that's innate to being a human. You don't have to explain it, that's just how it works. You basically already know some of the game's strategy by just being alive. Admittedly, there are other Pokemon type matchups that start to make less and less sense. Like, flying is strong against bug, and okay, that makes sense because birds eat worms. Bug types are strong against psychic, I guess because bugs are a phobia and that can like mess with your peace of mind. But why is fairy strong against dragon? It's not like everyone knows fairies beat dragons. Certainly not in the same way that everyone knows water beats fire. I suppose it could be just like a Japanese cultural thing, like maybe in their mythology. uh, Maybe they have stories about how a fairy beats a dragon and so they just all know that. But yeah, for me, it's kind of got me stumped a little bit. And the more you look at the type advantage chart in Pokemon, there's some examples of other things that just don't quite make as good a sense as Water Beats Fire. But anyways, let's talk about some other good examples. Um, another good one is how you know to dodge bullets or any projectile in VR. It's not something that a tutorial really has to tell you, you just instinctively do it. If you see something flying at you, you move out of the way. You know the strategy of the game intuitively. And I guess the last thing I want to mention about intuitive game design is genre norms. I've talked about genre norms before, but basically it's the idea that your game should, in most cases, control and play how fans of your genre expect. Now, of course, you want to make sure your game stands out and isn't just an exact copy, but there's just certain things that games in your genre should do. For example, if you're making a first-person shooter, WASD should be how you move, and you should use the mouse to look and fire with left mouse button. It's just how people expect shooters to work. Certain players who have played other shooting games can then jump into your shooting game, and you don't have to teach them how to move and look and shoot which is obviously critical to playing a first-person shooter. If you decided, like, oh, I have a better control scheme and it's brand new, I'm not saying that you shouldn't try to do that. Obviously, innovation, maybe there is a better control scheme out there. But if you do that, understand what a big leap that is and how good you're going to have to make a tutorial to get people to jump on to a control scheme that isn't WASD and mouse to look and fire. I guess my biggest tip for intuitive game design is to just use common sense. If it feels like it should do that then make it so. It can be hard to do this with complex mechanics and innovative mechanics like we talked about. I think some people will argue then that that means you'd be better off simplifying the mechanics with less complex and Innovative mechanics, you don't have to teach as much, and your game's easier to pick up and play. The idea being that you can get a broader audience by simplifying the game's complexity. I think this is actually a mistake and a tangential shortcut to the actual problem. The problem oftentimes is not the game's complexity, but its approachability. Instead of simplifying the game, we should make sure it's fun to play when played simply. Instead of simplifying the game, we should teach its complexity. And with that, I want to talk about tutorials. In my mind, a good tutorial helps the player learn by doing. A bad one helps them learn by telling. A telling tutorial is like in my game, Unstabled. I ran out of time to make a proper tutorial, so I just put up a wall of text that's basically all the rules. A lot of people probably didn't even read the whole thing, And even if they did, there's no way they're remembering it during the game. Also, not to mention, their very first interaction with my game is a boring list of rules. You know that feeling you get when you try a new board game, and you have to go through that, like, painful first 45 minutes of understanding the rules? And then someone finally just says, let's just play a few rounds, and you learn more in those few rounds than you did in the 45 minutes of reading? That, in my opinion, is how video game tutorials should be done. Teach by having the player actually play. Now of course you can't throw the whole game at them at the beginning, and I think we've talked about this in our pacing episodes before, but basically what you should do is introduce a mechanic and then have the player immediately use it. Let's say you're making a 2D platformer game. The first screen might say, okay, here's how you move, and the player is asked to move to the next area. The next area says here's how you double jump. and Maybe you follow that up with two or three platforming puzzles involving double jumping. And you gradually introduce mechanics like that. One of my favorite examples of this is the idea of a ghost tutorial. A ghost tutorial is a tutorial that you don't even realize is teaching you. Games with ghost tutorials introduce a mechanic so fluently and so contextually in the game world that you don't even realize it's a tutorial and it's teaching you, but you are learning. Like, let's just take an imaginary game, for instance. Let's say we're playing a game that has a mechanic of throwing spears. And you can use the spears to hit enemies, but also to hit buttons to unlock bridges and stuff to move throughout the level. Instead of having a big pop-up that says, throw the spear at the button, you could use environmental storytelling by showing spears stuck into buttons. You could use good level design to make sure that when the player is handed a spear, the button is directly in front of them. And by that I mean the first time they're handed the spear and are faced with press the button to lower the bridge, it's all right in front of them. It's really easy for them to see what they have to do. Maybe you even use some lighting techniques to make sure that the button is somewhat highlighted. This is a much more effective way of teaching the mechanic to the player because they learn by doing and they figure it out in the, by themselves. It sort of cements it in their mind better than being told uh, when they do it and kind of execute it in their own way, they learn a lot better. And even though they're figuring it out by themselves, you're kind of invisibly helping all along. Earlier in the episode, I mentioned that you want to make sure that your player base has a path forward to getting closer to the skill ceiling. I think this is particularly true with online competitive games, and a certain portion of it will certainly be on the player, how much they want to practice is really up to them. And honestly, in today's age, if you have a popular game with a strong community, There's likely to be content creators that will make educational content about how to get better at your game. But what can you do as a dev to help the player as much as possible get better? I think one of the key things is providing excellent feedback. You do this through things like summary stats. By that I mean the window that pops up at the end of a round or level or whatever. Here's where you tell your player what they did good and what they did bad. For instance, let's say collecting orbs is critical to the success of the player in your game. You better make sure that at the end of the level or the round, you have a stats screen with orbs collected. And if it's not enough, maybe you want to highlight it in red or give a grade like a C. Anything to provide the player with feedback and let them know that they should be collecting more orbs. Personally, I'm a fan of sports and numbers, so when it comes to feedback, I immediately go to statistics. But you could provide feedback in other ways as well. Maybe in a boss fight, if a player is struggling, an NPC has a voice line to help guide or remind them what to do. There's lots of ways you can provide feedback, but just know that it's important to help guide the player. And it can be difficult sometimes because you know your game so well, It feels like you can just pick it up and play it, and it's self-explanatory, but that's not how someone from outside the game will see it, and you always have to keep that in mind. Lastly, I want to mention that you also want to try and not over-explain. That's the flaw I made with my Unstabled game. I just started the game with one giant wall of text, when I probably could have just let the player play and learn the mechanics by doing, with maybe a few tips here and there maybe I could have even guided them better with a ghost tutorial. Over-explaining just leads to fatigue and slows the player down, and it's usually at the start when they should be the most excited. So, when it comes to tutorials, you have to walk that fine line of purposely guiding your player and explaining enough so that they can competently play the game, but not over-explaining it so that they are overwhelmed. Let's do a quick recap about what we've talked about today. Today's episode was about approachability. An approachable game is a game that introduces and teaches mechanics in a non-overwhelming way while being fun no matter how well the player has mastered those mechanics. Two key things to an approachable game are that it's fun to play at the skill floor and ceiling and having a strong tutorial. You can make sure that the game is fun at the skill floor by having intuitive gameplay that is simple to pick up and play. Remember, intuitive games are built off common sense. Being intuitive doesn't mean simplifying the complexity. It's possible to have a mechanically deep game that starts simple and grows. A good tutorial is one that teaches without being overwhelming. It often teaches by doing, not telling remember that quality feedback is a good way to make sure your player keeps improving and getting closer and closer to the skill ceiling. I personally am a big fan of ghost tutorials and those are tutorials that teach you invisibly. They're where you use smart level design, environmental storytelling, intuitive game design, and a whole bunch of other tricks so that the player doesn't really even know they're playing a tutorial. This works great because it walks that line of not being overwhelming but also guiding the player in the right direction. And that I think is really the key to an approachable game. Walk that fine line between the two extremes of no information and too much information. Do that and you'll have an approachable game that people love to pick up and play. If you want to get a hold of me and talk about your ideas for approachable games, or maybe you have a really good example of a ghost tutorial in your favorite game, DM me on Twitter, that's at underscore Zaccavelli underscore, or jump on over to our community Discord. I'm active in it pretty much every day. There's an open invite link in the show notes. And uh, yeah, I hope you enjoyed the show today. Thank you for listening. With that, I'm going to sign off. I have been Zaccavelli, Business Idea Number 243, a Ghost Tutorial for Game Dev.